The Minnesota Deer Hunters Association is your conservation organization. The mission is to protect the future of wild deer and deer hunting through habitat, education, advocacy, and legislation. Since 1985, MDHA has restored and or acquired and donated over 75,000 acres of public lands, sent over 15,000 youth through summer camps for hunter education and firearm safety, and represented your voice at the Capitol on hunting and conservation issues. MDHA's Hides for Habitat program recycles your harvested deer hide into quality habitat around Minnesota. To date, MDHA has collected over 1 million donated deer hides, raising over $5.9 million to preserve, enhance, and restore your public lands. To find Find an orange hide drop box near you or join your local chapter, visit mndeerhunters.com and join MDHA in protecting the future of deer and deer hunting in Minnesota. As hunters and conservationists, it's our responsibility to give back to the landscape we rely on. There's no better way to do that than join and support the Minnesota Deer Hunters Association. Visit mndeerhunters.com today. This episode of The Flush Podcast is brought to you by Federal Ammunition, Onyx Hunt. Waltons, Nutrisource Pet Foods, Aluma Trailers, and by North Dakota Tourism. Today, we are miles from another soul, camping in Minnesota's Northwoods, taking in the final days of Minnesota's rough grouse hunting season. Bird numbers are off the charts, but that does not mean we're filling our game bags. We'll explain what we're finding and why we've been scratching our heads. We'll also share a few tricks that we've picked up on to harvest rough grouse in the snow. Plus, we've got stories from a lifetime in the outdoor television business. I'll explain. Welcome to another episode of the Flush Podcast. I am Travis Frank. I'm your host. Ben Bradigan is sitting next to me. Beside Ben is Daisy, curled up. In front of Daisy is Amos, spread out. A little sore, a little tender. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Uh, on the other side, we've got Herb, and Fred has his leg over Herb's shoulder. It's the cutest thing you've ever seen. Behind me, I've got a fireplace going. It's toasty warm here. A couple snowflakes just fell outside as we were cooking up dinner. Mm. Um, do you want to let people know what the heck you made tonight there, Ben? Well, if I could pronounce it, actually... You got to try it. Well, we'll have Lance on here, and he when he says it, I really like the way he says it. Yeah. He'll be on here in a second. All right. Um, Lance Tangen is our cameraman. We have... Lance and I have gone back in this outdoor television world now close to 15 years some of my craziest stories non-flush related um trips almost all of them involve lance we'll get into i don't know where we're gonna end up tonight with with some of the stories but let's just say he has been bit by a rattlesnake so that might come up um the time the time i almost thought i was gonna die um in an airplane who was sitting next to me. Isn't that every time you get into a small aircraft? I feel like that's the case, <laughs> but this time it did a 360, and oh, I've referenced yeah, it a couple times. Anyway, um, we are in our ice castle, my ice castle fish house right now. For a lot of southern listeners right now, Ben, try to explain what this is. It's, it's like an RV. 
But um, they people have want. I, I got to do a video tour of this thing because people have seen it on the show and they're like, I just want to understand the trailer setup. They call it a trailer. It's yeah. not a trailer. It's not a trailer. It's not no. a trailer. It's no, a- don't don't belittle this machine. It is a machine. Yeah. This is a, a Shangri La. It is. Uh, yeah, you take an RV and essentially, uh, it's got holes in the floor. Mm-hmm. I mean, we're not talking like southern holes in the floor like these are made to be in the mm-hmm. floor that's a shot at our southern brethren <clears throat> it's it's a perfect hole in the floor yeah. and there's rattle reels fishing reels mounted right above them if we had enough ice we would be on a lake right now yes. catching walleyes but there's just not enough ice so we are in the woods and this is actually a trip that you and I have had to postpone uh, we are just counting down the days before we're going to be at home celebrating Christmas with our families. But there's only a few days left in Minnesota's rough grouse hunting season here. It ends at the end of December. And so we're like, both you and I are just obsessed with rough grouse. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know that I gave you a proper introduction. Did I off the top? Ben Bredigan from Onyx. You and I have go. hunted together for quite a while. We're almost neighbors. We've gone to school together. Yeah, um, We fished together for couple decades almost now we go back and we both are just crazy about dogs and bird hunting and we've found ourselves in some pretty wild places but this one here is is a pretty special place and i i said at the beginning of the show that i we're miles from another soul because i don't know i mean how far do you think we are from another human right now i think we're we've got to be at least 15 miles from another house, which I don't, it might be a seasonal cabin. Yeah. There's so a like, couple broken down buildings that haven't been occupied yeah. in, you know, probably a couple decades. No. Yeah. Our closest neighbors are Timberwolves and mm-hmm. a lot of rough grouse. A lot of rough grouse. And that's why we're here. But it's, it's actually shocking. Okay. You got enough out that video. You can put that down now, Lance. Jump, grab the microphone here. Um, it's been, sh- oh, mic down. It's been shocking to me, you know, in this part of Minnesota, we're, we're in the Northwoods and wolf populations have really been on a steady trajectory up, you know, and there are a lot of wolves up here and we actually have snow on the ground, which, um, typically when I'm grouse hunting, most people that grouse hunt, I think October. Yeah, that's you know, right that's, before deer season, especially in Minnesota here, mm-hmm. even in Wisconsin. But that's, yeah, that's very typical gross yep. season. And so we have snow on the ground right now, which obviously shows us the tracks. When you say we have snow, I mean, we have a, I mean, less than an inch of snow. Yep. So it's not, it's not typical December. Right. Which is ultimately why we've decided to come up here and try hunting for grouse. The numbers in in this part of the country have been really strong this year. Mm-hmm. And we just thought, you know what? It's been, I was telling you today, I'm like, the last time I held a grouse while standing in the snow was back in college. I yeah. mean, I went to college in Bemidji and I I hunted uh, quite a bit. But since then, you know, I, I feel like December is kind of pheasant and then quail and, you know, we're heading south at this time of the yeah, year. I, well, and normally, I mean... Like I said, normally we probably would be on the ice right now. We could have this ice castle parked uh-huh. on the ice, but probably part of the reason we're not here, right, is because it's been unseasonably warm. Normally, I think last year at this time, they probably had uh, close to three feet of snow yeah. in this area. 
crazy amount of snow. Yeah. There's no way we could have really gotten around no. or wanted to. And honestly, I don't know that how how the dogs would have handled that kind of snow if they would have been able to find birds that are snow roosting or what what we would have been up against. But um, yeah, I mean, it is. It there were times today that it felt like. I mean, I even mentioned yeah, it. I was like, yeah. it feels like we're in an October woods again. Yeah, you know, exactly. Like it, there was parts where the snow had melted and it was soft <laughs> walking yeah. and the birds were in similar places to where you would find them. Yeah, hundred percent. They just, they were not behaving like October birds. I've never seen anything like it. I can't say I have. Right. And between us, I mean, we haven't done, well, we've done a fair amount of grouse hunting. We have. And you have incredible dogs likewise well thank you um our dogs have pointed and held more rough grouse than you and i can probably count yeah um i just when when we're not on the road and you spend a lot of time all over the country working for onyx and the Mm -hmm. and the bird division and um you're all over the country but when you're not working you're kind of like i am where we both are constantly like Dude, I got to get up grouse hunting. I know. I have to grouse hunt. So a lot of my bird hunting, when we're not filming for the flush, is spent grouse hunting, and I just cannot get enough of chasing the king. Yeah, we were we were lamenting about why we love the grouse, and yeah, yeah it's just, it is such a, I mean, the bird is almost, it's a mystery in some regards, and mm-hmm. it, it, it lived up to its reputation today, but um, just so, so many diverse habits habitats and like food sources oh i lost you again i lost you again what does try putting that in yep you're back so yeah so if it's if it's warm in the afternoon if it's cold in the afternoon they'll do something different where a lot of game birds are you know kind of by the book like you can find them here Mm -hmm. yeah all the time we were talking about pheasants for example find the crop find the edge of that field find the thickest cover nearby you're typically going to find right. the pheasants. And there's some tricks to outsmarting them. But like grubs? Yeah, the grubs I showed you about. <laughs> yes, digging in the beach. But you typically know where they're going to be. It's... Oh. <laughs> what you're listening to is Herb sleeping. <laughs> it's a big deep breath. <laughs> Last night we turned the lights off and all of a sudden the snoring. I was like, who is that? And Ben's like, that's firm. <laughs> oh, what a guy. What a guy. Anyway, what what we were saying is that you you typically know um you know where those pheasants are gonna be. It's just a matter of can you get in position to, you know, hold them or flush them within range. Same with like a sharp-tailed grouse. I mean, we were talking about some trips we've made in Montana and stuff, and it's like, I mean, what what were you saying today about them? Well, I mean, I don't want to disrespect the sharpie because it is an awesome bird to hunt, but it's mm-hmm. it's not always it's it's not if you're going to get a limit, but when you're going to get a limit, right? And and I love don't get me wrong, I love to hunt them, but that's not what I would consider challenging, but. We also talked about this is like, I don't think the challenge is solely what makes it, but in the, in the case of the rough grouse, it, it definitely adds to the, the allure. Yeah. Well, I mean, certainly times of the year change how birds behave and where you're going to find them, things like that. But what we're finding here today, and that's what we're going to dig into is just 
how um, unpredictable these birds are as far as where you can find them. And, and we're looking at, we're looking at Onyx mm-hmm. and we're like, this all looks good for miles and miles yeah. and miles and miles and miles and miles. And, and then miles. we drive it and it all looks good. And like in October, looks, yes. it's like, I, I, we could start walking from here mm-hmm. and walk for 20 miles and be like in the juice. Like we should find something. Yep. And I truly believe that everywhere that we've driven by and all the things that look good have birds in them. And that has proven to be true everywhere that we've gone so far. There have been grouse and grouse tracks and grouse poo. And I mean, there's definitely a lot of grouse up here. The reports have been phenomenal for anybody that's been hunting rough grouse late season. And both you and I were just surprised when people were saying like, yeah, they're holding great. Getting, you know, not, not all of them are holding for a, for us to get up there, but a lot of them are. And mm-hmm. we're like, wow, you know, late season, here we go. This is going to be awesome. Well, and neither you nor I really have a tremendous amount of experience in hunting grouse in December, right? Yeah, right. Like I said, yeah, we're doing been, other things. Yeah, it's been over 15 years since I did it, and I didn't have that white rocket there when I was yeah. hunting them back then. So it's just completely different yeah. right now. Yeah, and I'm sure a lot of people are like, we'll probably hear our stories and be like, yeah, you idiot, like you should have done this, but right? we're just, we're getting out there and we're, we're learning it and figuring it out, right? Mm-hmm. So here's the problem. Our dogs, well, yesterday we, we get into the woods, we park, we release the hounds, Daisy doesn't make it 50 yards, locks up, looks like a million bucks yep. staring right off the side of the trail. We walk up. We were joking. We were joking. I was like, because Daisy, when she comes back to the truck and she doesn't want to go in, she'll false point, right? Yeah. So I was like, well, is this the same deal? Like, is she false pointing like <laughs> off the bat now? Like, what the heck? Yeah. Yeah. Lance wasn't even caught up to us. I mean, he had just filmed the walking away from the truck shot, just left the truck and Daisy's just rock solid staring down. I'm like, nope, that's bird. Because I just said, I go, she looks birdie. Yeah. And all of a sudden she just went, boom. And we were just hearing all these reports about how great it's been up here, you know? Yeah. So um, she locks up and we're like, holy crap, we are going to have a limit of grouse in our, in our bag before the sun sets tonight. And that bird flushed. I didn't get to see it. I heard it. You saw it. I saw it. Yep. I probably could have taken a Hail Mary. And In hindsight now, do you wish you had a shot? Oh, I always wish I would have shot. Yeah, I never, I never regret shooting. Were you just in awe watching the bird? What the hell happened? I, I don't know. It was like first one, like you got to get into like the rough grouse mode, right? Where yeah. it's like, I've been pheasant hunting for a while now and it's like, well, yeah, there'll be another one. Or it's like, uh, you know, if, you're if used to every seeing, 50 yards, no big deal. We'll, we'll just get yeah. the next one. And if you're used to seeing pheasants like mm-hmm. fly, it's like, it's a wide open, mm-hmm. it's easy shooting. So this grouse, it was like, oh, I saw it for a little bit. It's like, well, come on, Ben. Mm-hmm. That's like, that's all you get. <laughs> like, it, it's been, it's been a couple, right. it's been a while since I've been grouse hunting. So that one did what a grouse was supposed to do. That's one of only, out of the last 60 birds we've come across in the last day and a half of hunting. Three that had done that it right. Did it right. Three that did it right. And as the sun set tonight, we we feel like we maybe have come up on uh, something that might work. Yeah. Because I've never seen anything like this before with rough grouse. I've seen grouse run before. Yeah, plenty of times. Plenty of times. But not like these birds are running 
typically, you know, in a rough grouse woods, you might have a bird that, you know, moves off of a point and you move up again, you can repoint, reposition. Sometimes they, they disappear like a ghost in the woods. These birds are running. Like, I, I mean, we're watching them because there's snow on the ground. You can see them and they're just, you can't, you cannot keep up with them. It would be like if you crippled a pheasant yep. and then set it in the grouse woods. Yep. I mean, they are cooking. They are fly, and they're not, they won't fly. That's no. the problem. I was expecting, you know, sometimes they jump up in a tree. We have not had any, we've had one, wow. one grouse fly up into a tree. You didn't want to leave the tree. And that one is still alive. <laughs> yeah. <Yep. laughs> still out yeah. there tonight, just eating catkin. Um, but these birds are like, when I, so, you know, our dogs will go out in range and, you know, Amos, I don't know, how far do you feel like you're comfortable letting them go? I mean, I, I, it depends on the situation, but like, under 200 like 200 yards mm -hmm. like i'll try to rein them in under 200 mm -hmm. daisy's kind of in that same distance and i try to keep her under that distance as well because i just you know don't like to bushwhack and and haul lance through all that stuff yeah. every time she goes on point because these birds by the time we get there you know 200 yards through the thick swamp and all the thick cover can be 10 minutes can mm -hmm. be five minutes whatever it might be um, even some of the points where they're 50, they go on point 50 yards in front of us. By the time we've gotten there, those birds are so far up ahead. They're hundreds of yards. They, well, we release them. How many times you've yeah. learned that yeah. this is what's happening, right? You've yeah. banged your head against the wall and all of a sudden you're like, we got to rush up there and you're trying, but you can't. And then the dogs are moving. Mm -hmm. and, and we've tried, you know, like we've, we have pulled out a lot of tactics, right? Mm -hmm. It's the end around where you, I, a couple of times I'd go at a hundred yards up or to the side, a hundred yards up around. And like, I just don't think after seeing, so after seeing the birds actually on the ground, mm -hmm. otherwise you would think like, man, these dogs are just false pointing, you know, unproductive machines. But mm -hmm. a lot of the cases we saw the tracks without the snow, we would have been like, I would have shipped my dog down the river already. <laughs> I know. Like you yeah. can, you walk up, dogs on point, standing there, and there's not a bird around. But you look and you're like, well, there's a, there's grouse tracks. So yeah, there there was one here. Dog pointed, and you follow those tracks in the snow, and you're as fast you you and I couldn't run fast enough to catch well, up to these grouse. Well, we saw that one. We saw one right off the trail on the on the first time, and yeah, we saw we're like, oh yeah, party on. Like we're well, let's just go mm -hmm. follow this thing, and it was like. <laughs> It was gone in two seconds. Vanished. Yeah. Vanished. Disappeared. And for the amount of birds that are out here, it has been living the definition of insanity for us. We've tried, all right, well, maybe we need to find birds in, in pines. We need to find birds in, you know. Swamp edges. Swamp edges with grass, something they're more comfortable no holding bells. in. Yeah. yeah, we took the bells off the dogs. We've, um, We've tried pretty much any kind of cover, and we found birds in every mm -hmm. piece of cover that yeah, we've gone I mean, into. We, we probably had uh, probably close to in the last two days seventy points. Yeah, I, I yeah, I stopped counting. Yeah, I, yeah. It the frustration level just is on a whole nother level, and the problem is sometimes though, depending on which way we tried to cut them off, we've seen the birds on the ground, mm -hmm. but I'm not going to shoot a bird on the ground when well, we, we have dogs. Well, yeah, and, and if that was the case, like if we were, if we wanted to kill birds, we we actually would have, we, yeah, we could have killed a lot of birds. Yeah, 
That's true. Um, but that's not what we're here no. to do. Um, we're trying to do something that I haven't seen anyway, which is why you and I were like, I don't know, let's yeah. try to film a TV we, show, we Hunting just... Grouse in the Snow, because I don't know that I've ever watched a rough grouse hunting snow filmed in the, or a rough grouse hunting TV show <laughs> well, filmed in the snow. Before. Probably a reason and why. Right? I know why there's not any of these TV shows that have ever been produced. And I'm sure somebody will send me an email saying, yeah. you know, this one, you should check this out or this is how it's done. But, um, our goal was we have four dogs that love to point grouse and are very good at it. And we wanted to bring them up here and, just do something different. We wanted to close out Minnesota's hunting season with the trip up here in the woods. I don't regret it for a second. No, not at all. Uh, we had an amazing meal. Um, Lance, can you pronounce yes. what Ben made tonight? Now that you're done filming and you've got the... V-O-L-A-U-V-E-N-T. Volavon? Yeah, Volavon? Yes. Yeah, that sounds really good. I Basically, like that. Basically, um, it's... Uh, like, how would you explain what you made? Tonight? Yeah, it was an internet friend of mine from, she's from, uh, uh, what, what uh, Quebec. Quebec. Yeah, French, Ke French, Quebec. Quebec, yeah. French Canadian and saw it on her Instagram. I was like, dang, that looks good. And Google it and it's all, what it is, it's a puff pastry where essentially you, you cut it as such. I mean, my tools here were rudimentary. I think you can normally get like by these circular cutters, but essentially you stack up. Uh, rings to form like a cup type deal, which is then filled with uh, kind of a medley of uh, cream cheese, uh, scallions, uh, yeah, like yellow pepper, green pepper, bacon, and then kind of like a all diced up diced inside up. of it. So it's, it's a cream, and then we cook the grill, shred it up, and then you stuff the the cup full of of that that mixture. And uh, first time I've ever tried it up here and I don't know I'd do Delightful. it again I didn't hate wonderful. it wonderful <laughs> I loved it I it loved everything great. about it and you had it pre-made the mix was pre-made so it's just the pastry that you dealt with yeah, yeah. so it was, it was and it, honestly it was really like it yeah honestly it, it was very very easy to do it probably took under if you're doing it in a regular kitchen it would take half hour yeah. to whip up well, this is kind of a regular kitchen we've got an oven that kept blowing out though because we didn't realize that <laughs> the, the angle of our fish house right now is the vent is blowing right or facing into the wind. So, I mean, this is some of the challenges when you go glamping like we're doing right now. This we isn't really, we're not camping. There's, there's a queen size bed just above your head right now. You're on a full and there are four, three dogs curled up around you and, and Fred's curled up next to me on the floor right now. He likes mm -hmm. the, the um, fireplace that I have behind me, which is actually getting a little bit warm and yeah. a couple of bunks over here on, over my shoulder. So we're not, um, we're not roughing it. No. no, we have power. Well, we don't. We don't have. We don't have a TV service or cell service. I know. Here. I tried turning the um the king tailgater thing I've got yeah. on top. I'm still working out the kinks in this oh, this rig ooh, here. Right, we don't I have know. TV or internet. I know we don't have yeah. cell service right now, which, which is great actually. I know. I know. I mean, yeah, it's it's a cool place. I. I don't know how many people are grouse hunting at this point in the season, but we certainly have not seen anybody. Oh no, we've what do we see? Two log trucks today, and mm. the same guy he looked like it was a lo local fire guy that drove by twice, and mm. that's well, one van too. Yep, and that's it. Yep, four <laughs> trucks, so, four vehicles. Um, there are still a few days left in 
the rough grouse hunting season here that closes at the end of December. And as when this, this podcast goes out, I'm not entirely sure yet because we certainly can't get this into the internet until we get back yeah. out of the woods. And then it's going to be Christmas and we're going to spend a few days with our families and Brandon Morton, who produces this, I need to get him the files. And by the time he gets um, this up, it might be shortly after Christmas. And then, you know, there's going to be that week there where people have to have some time off. Maybe you get up and, and try some grouse hunting. Um, the reports that we had been hearing were, like I said, a lot of birds and they're holding tight and you're finding them where you find them, which could be just about anywhere because the snowpack is almost non-existent. It's very minimal. Well, up until this last like three days ago, there was no snow, right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, different. Well, it, actually, I feel like further south, we drove through more. Mm-hmm. The further north we've come, the, the snow. Like today, we, we ended up leaving and going like 25 minutes from, well. Four and a half hours. It felt like 10 hours. <laughs> Um, <laughs> I was giving you a hard time because every time we go west to film with somebody, they're like, oh, yeah, it's just about 10 minutes down the road. Yeah. And then like an hour and a half you get there and you're like, 10 minutes, huh? Yeah. I'm like, oh, I did that. Yeah. I did so that today. You did that today. <laughs> and I looked at you, I go, 10 minutes, huh? And you go, well, yeah. As, as the crow flies. As the grouse flies, maybe yeah, 10 yeah, minutes, yeah. but <laughs> not as the trails that we were on took us. Um, we're, we're getting really sidetracked here and that's okay. Um, this is part of being in grouse camp is we've told so many stories. I don't remember which ones we've even told anymore. Uh, this is obviously, uh, very un off the cuff or uncut or what, how would you yeah. describe it? Yeah. So, um, Lance Tangen is our cameraman here. Lance and I, as I mentioned off the top of the show, the cameraman, um, that has been on journeys with me all over North America. And we laugh about him because it's just like some, sometimes we get ourselves into these weird places and it's just funny to go back and tell stories. So we're going to get into a few of those, but you are very observant carrying the camera around and you're always asking questions. And I feel like if you have, if you can remember some of those questions that you were asking us today, people that are listening to this might also wonder the same things. Um, Let's get into, Ben, a few things that we do know about the grouse. Um, as soon as we harvested the grouse, first thing we did was we tore right into the crop because you and I are like, we got we to gotta come up with a plan. I'm all about figuring these things out so I can be way more efficient and get them dialed in and come up with a pattern. Unfortunately, the birds that we looked at all had different food in their crop, including one that that bird we looked at, that one that got oh tonight. Oh my gosh! Fistful. It it was a the crop, uh, the amount of food that I pulled out of it was bigger than I could put my my entire close my hand around. It was like holding a baseball, basically. That's how big the crop was. What was in that, Ben? I think it was strawberries. I think so. I mean, we will. You'll have to post a picture on on social for okay. the flush social, but um, it it was wild. It, it looked like strawberries, but like. I don't know. Like the, that's the other cool thing we talked about a grouse. Like th- there's so many food sources that they ate. Yeah. Um. But it looked almost like strawberries. I mean, it looked like you could make a salad out of it. Right. It looked delicious actually. And what? then there were some tree buds in there too, and uh, just a little bit of catkin in that one, if if any. Mm-hmm. And then the other one was just full, just plum full of catkin. 
Yep. And um, so that's kind of a main winter forage for a lot of these birds. Yep, that's but what we're finding one. is um, in this particular area, no pattern at all, which means, you know, they weren't this typically if there's a lot of snow, I think a, a grouse hunter would say you got to go into the the evergreen type of tree cover because they need that that shelter. They'll be underneath that out of the snow a lot of times or up in a tree and, and they'll snow roost. Um, but some of the areas that you find them in October, you're just not going to find them. Well, we're finding them in all of them. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like you said, we haven't hit a place that we haven't found them, but um, yeah, I mean, the, the thing about winter is it's cold, right? Just like any critter, a deer, anything, they need food. Like food is going to dictate their behavior. So you find the food, you find the birds, but you look here, it's all prime habitat. Like they're, you can't walk a hundred yards without seeing a bush, you know, a tree just loaded with catkin. So it's, you know, with a, a, a scattered food source, it'd be like deer hunting a flat that's a mile long that is just plum full of acorns. Like, mm-hmm. how do you do it, right? Yeah, yeah. hunt the oak flat, yeah, <laughs> right? Yeah. I mean, the it's dogs are taking us long. to them, and ultimately we've kind of, we, we like working those swamp edges. I just, those, those edges always seem to be an area where you're going to find birds, no matter if it's opening day, now all the way to the end of season here. Um, and that has been proven the case, but you know, Amos is 200 yards on point. Daisy goes, you know, this way, 130 yards or whatever it might be in there in every kind of forest out here, but they're running. So the birds just kept running and we were not able to catch up with them. Doesn't matter how many times the dog would go on point. Doesn't matter if they pointed at 40 yards. Yeah. It just, we couldn't get them to fly. Mm-mm. I've never seen grouse that wouldn't fly before. Eventually they would fly, hey, you yeah. know, normally. Like we had a few covers that, uh, you know, probably up here, you know, they're probably, I don't know, essentially like 15 year old cuts mm-hmm. and you could see pretty well in them. And so we could see the birds and, yeah, like they just, they had no interest in flying. You followed that one for 100 yards. Yeah, And probably. then you heard it and seen it get up. Yeah. I think, I think Amos ended range. up putting enough pressure, a little bit more pressure that it ended up flying. But, you know, it, I was looking at the cover and there was this tiny, there's a little ravine where you had some old ferns, like ferns that had died, they're brown. So I was like, okay, that hopefully... My theory is this grouse is going to hang up in those ferns, right? Because that's what they would, you know, potentially do in the early season. They'd, they'd hit a thick patch of cover and they'd just be like... Feel safe there. Yep. Yep. But, I mean, it wasn't th- super thick, but I thought it would maybe held it. No. Some grass in there yeah. underneath the... Yeah. And that's another reason why we hunted a lot of swamp edges, right? Like anything you can do to pin a bird, right? Mm-hmm. The dog comes in and it's all about you know, right time, right place, right situation, dog comes and pins it against a swamp. Like that's a very textbook move throughout grouse season for a dog. So that's why we tried on swamp edges. And um, the interesting thing is like, you can see the tracks, right? You yeah. can, so you know, you can go back and look and like, see what is happening where there's birds, where there's not birds. It's, it's, it's really interesting. Yeah. And when Lance just said, you know, that one that you followed and kept going and eventually you heard it get up off in the distance where Amos maybe put too much pressure on it. That's just been the rarity. Most of them have just disappeared. Yeah. Like you just don't not, see them. You don't even hear the flush in the distance. Um, they're not going up into trees. Like we're, you can see there's no foliage at all. 
Um, so the tracks just keep going and all of a sudden like you cut tracks with so many other birds that you're not sure which one you're following anymore and then you lose it and in the speed of everything you're like it's gone again yeah and we talked about like scenting conditions in in this time of year lance you were asking about that and um you know daisy's a really good tracker right like you were we were talking like if you shoot a pheasant yeah and she hasn't let one get away yet this year i mean she just like her ability to pick up that scent and follow it until she finds a bird just blows my mind yeah and and so amos is terrible at it like he did not a retriever doesn't get care if he doesn't wind it then it can whatever so it's like i ran her because he's the same deal he, he is a he's a german he's a drought hire he's a tracking machine and even with them on the ground two really good tracking dogs um yeah i, I don't know what the deal was they if it's just the, if it's the dry air the snow i don't know what it is yeah it's counterintuitive you think snow for tracking conditions because it's moisture but we have such dry air seasonally when you get the winters here i mean you're getting shocked every time you touch anything and and now you think about that and you go well if the humidity percentage is whatever 15 20 percent there's not much moisture in the air that they can scent from so it makes you wonder just a question i remember i brought up thinking with our dry air and even though we have moisture that they're having problems with it but i like Daisy following on the trail, you you had that one. You saw the tracks. You saw her tracks. You watched her up ahead following yeah. the bird. You didn't see it. Nose down. So she went on point, and we walk up, and she's standing there, rock solid point, nothing around. And I'm like, gosh. And this is when we were starting to just start really scratch our heads yesterday because we got in the woods at about noon mm-hmm. yesterday. So that that gives you four hours and twenty three minutes of. Of huntable, and hours. we went to the the spot. The what do you call it? The hammer hole. The hammer hole. <laughs> I mean, I moved in October, close to fifty birds out of this, and in like an hour and a half. It's crazy how many birds. And that's what I mean. Like we were so excited to get up here, and we go twenty yards. Daisy's thirty yards in front of us, standing there. So she's made it fifty yards, and she's on point. And we're like, this is going to be the best grouse hunt of our entire lives. Right. If you're looking for an awesome bird hunting adventure, then now is a great time to head to the state of North Dakota. Why? Well, this year, the state of North Dakota has reported that pheasant counts are up 61% from last year. The sharp-tailed grouse numbers are up 116%. And get this, the Hungarian partridge numbers have tied an all-time high that comes in at 200% above last year. I've already hunted in North Dakota this season, and I've seen these bird numbers for myself. Water levels are also up, which means the total number of wetlands are up, 76% above the long-term average. The state's breeding duck index was the 23rd highest on record this year, 39% above the long-term average at 3.4 million. All of these numbers mean that there are more ducks, more geese, pheasants, sharpies, and Hungarian partridge on the landscape. In North Dakota, you can experience an epic waterfall hunter in the peak of the fall migration and have the best upland hunt of your life all in the same day. I know this because I've done it myself. Start planning your world-class hunt in North Dakota at hellond.com. 
If you're an active outdoorsman or woman on the go, then odds are good that you have toys and equipment that you need to haul. Well, our friends at Aluma Trailers, they've got you covered. Their trailers are built by a hardworking team in Bancroft, Iowa, right here in the good old USA. They have models for all of your hauling needs, from ATV and UTV trailers to utility, snowmobile, motorcycle, car trailers, and even fully enclosed trailers like mine. Trust me when I say that Aluma Trailers tow gear like a dream. Their trailers are constructed out of lightweight, strong, corrosion-resistant aluminum, and they are 100% maintenance-free. Plus, they come with an industry-best five-year warranty. Visit alumaklm.com to find a trailer that fits your needs. The Onyx Hunt app is one of the most valuable hunting tools that I take into the field every day, and now that app is available in our vehicles. Yep, Onyx did it. They launched Apple CarPlay. That means when you plug your phone into your vehicle, you now have the option to open up the Onyx app right on the dash of your hunting rig. No more holding your phone while driving, which is obviously dangerous, and you get all of the same layers on your vehicle dash that you get on your phone. You can see the aerial view of your location while driving down the road, just like you'd see if you're using your own maps, apps, Waze, or Google Maps. Except now you can find out if the properties around you are open to the public, the landowner's name that owns the land. And if you're in North Dakota, you can see if that land is posted without even touching your phone. To use this feature, simply make sure your Onyx app is up to date. And if you're not an iPhone user, don't worry. Onyx is currently working on the same platform for Android phones too. Apple CarPlay, the latest incredible feature from Onyx Hunt. Always know where you stand and now where you drive with Onyx Hunt. We, we left the woods without anything last night. We never got a single bird. Not a single bird. But Lance, what you're talking about is, you know, like she's on point. And then I'm like, I release her in just the way that she started running. And I'm like, yeah, duh. She like, I'm watching her just following the tracks in the snow. And I'm like, we got to go. We got to get up there. We got to get up there. We got to go. We got to go. We got to go. And then all of a sudden, just see this thing. And I'm like, no. And I think I just put too much pressure on Daisy there at that moment to like try to get up to this thing that's running. And that's where everything, we just got into our heads, Ben. We've been in our heads for the last day and a half. And I think. Um, well, rightfully so, though. Yeah. Like, like what we've we've been we've been trying to analyze and like we've talked about it on past podcasts, like trying to figure it out, trying to put friends yep. together. I think that's what, that's what good hunters, successful hunters do. And like, we just haven't figured it out. <laughs> <laughs> well, we, we've, we're starting to get there. Yeah. So what we've basically come to learn the couple birds that we've ended up getting today, we have basically had to hunt them like pheasants. Because we've been pushing these birds, um, some of them, these grouse, I'm convinced based on what, when Daisy goes on point and then I walk up and, you know, we walk past and there's no sign of birds anywhere and I release her and she's just like, I can tell when she's on a bird and she keeps going. Then, you know, she's 150 yards ahead again. Boom. Bzz, Daisy's on point. Get up there, release her another hundred yards. And, you know, Amos has done the same thing. And then all of a sudden. We get, you know, like the same bird, basically we're, we're pushing hundreds of yards and they're not getting up, but ultimately we had to run them up against the end of the cover. And in a couple instances, it well, one of them was the woods turned into, um, like 
Well, actually, now thinking back, remember yesterday when they started getting up over the frozen water? Oh, yeah. You know? There was that slew. Yep, yep. Yep. I, I didn't even think about it yesterday at the time, but a couple of them got up over the, because they just ran out of habitat. It was ice. And so we ran and ran without even thinking of it. The dogs were pushing these grouse that wouldn't stop running up until they ran out of cover. And today we were coming back to the vehicle and they stopped because the road eventually. Yeah, because Amos, he punched in across the street or yeah. across the road from the cover we were in and he must have looped back around and boom, locked up. Mm-hmm. So he's like 30 yards in the woods and the grouse was up against the road, basically. I mean, the grouse was like 20 yards in or something like that at this point because it knew it couldn't keep running. And then, you know, the uh, the other one that, um, Daisy, we were coming back towards the truck and we, she, I think she picked that bird up like 300 yards in the forest and eventually it held like 40 yards from the road. And I don't know if it actually ran up to the road and then came back, but where she was on point and I looped around her and came in, it pinched the bird and it couldn't, it couldn't yeah. keep running. Yeah. And so you and I were both talking after the hunt. We're like, man, I feel like we're running pheasants out of a field into the edge of a plowed field or mm-hmm. up to a road and there's blockers or something like that. But ultimately we're, we're like now going into tomorrow in our brains, thinking about if, if they behave the same way, which I don't know if it's just the day that we've been hunting, um, you know, Tomorrow they could hold like grouse, rough grouse again. Yeah, exactly. Or fly up into a tree or do something that give us a chance to, you know, catch up to them. Otherwise. Well, that didn't work either. That doesn't us. work either. Yeah. yeah, we tried that. Trying to shoot a grouse that flies out of the tree is one of, <laughs> I don't know why. Even poking it with I a stick. I think I could have maybe, I had maybe a better chance hitting it with if you that had a, stick. Yeah, exactly. They always find the one direction that you can't wow. get a shot at. Yeah, because that's so the bird Amos pointed. Yeah. Jumped. Flew, you shot twice, and we're like, oh, you're like, oh, I think I, you know, maybe hit it, <laughs> saw something, and and so we were out looking around, and well, as I see it, and I thought it was like, you know, sometimes like you, I've shot shot birds that have gotten hung in trees or something, yeah. they're alive, yep, and Lance is just he's well, right above me. Yeah. You're like, did you get it? And I'm like, I might have. Something large fell, which. Uh, ultimately was just a big chunk of bark off the tree that yeah, I hit. Uh, yeah. But it did fall, and I was like, I don't know if it's the grouse or the bark, but the bark fell, the grouse flew up, landed, and we we never got that bird. That's the only one that we've had that flew up in a tree, but I know a lot of people have been saying lately, yeah, yeah. they'll jump up in a tree, and then you make that decision for yourself if you want to take that shot. I'm not yeah. going to make that for you. Everybody can make that decision. You know, if a dog goes on point, and a bird flies up and the dog holds it right there. The dog did its job, I guess. And so, yeah. I mean, there I know a lot of uh, seasoned grouse hunters that'll say, hey, my dog's standing there on point. Look, you know, did its job, found the bird. The bird happened to jump up, but the dog hasn't moved. That's a shot that I would take and be happy about it. Some people say it has to fly before you're going to take the shot. Yeah. Um, I'm just not comfortable taking it on you know, the ground, um, yeah. you know, with, with yeah, it's uh, a, it's dogs up, on the up ground. To the person, right? Yeah, exactly. So, 
I think it's, um, uh, you know, there's a lot of ways to grouse hunt. And I've heard some people say, however you can get that bird, <laughs> you get the bird. Like part- partridge hunting is what. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Anyway, um, so what we've ultimately come up with as a game plan, and we'll we'll try it, we'll test it yeah. again tomorrow and find out if this ultimately works and gives us more opportunities to take shots at bird off a point um, on the wing. But I just, I just find it fascinating that these grouse have ran some of them that we followed for a quarter mile to a half mile, you know, and they're still running. (laughs) Yeah. So yeah. So our game plan is we're going to, you know, parallel roads and, and generally, so generally, I mean, we, we see birds on roads all the time in October, whatnot, for sure. good reason. Yep. So there's, there's some grit and gravel. gravel. And, yep. Also, you've got that road cut there. So there's sunlight. So, you know, you've, you've been driving on a road and all of a sudden you look to your right or left. You're like, oh, that's really good cover. You walk 10 yards and then it opens. It turns into a completely different cover mm-hmm. because you've got that sunlight from the road. So it's going to get generally a lot thicker around there, which makes good grouse cover. So. Mm-hmm. We're going to parallel roads and, and yeah, hunt the downwind I, side of the road. And I, I feel like, yeah, I mean, if, and if these are, these are grout, like minimal maintenance, like yep. these, we're not hunting highways. They're not trails. They're not highways. Yeah. yeah no. It's, it's, um, I think what we need to do is it might be a 50, 50, depending on which direction the grouse runs. Yeah. If it runs, you know, let's say we're, uh, yeah, we're parallel to it. If it goes left, the dog might be able to pin it because it can't keep running. Yeah. If it goes right, it's going to be able to run till Canada. Yes. <laughs> you know, that kind of a thing. Yeah. So it might be 50-50 and we'll see how it works. But even the trails, you you know, like they, they're just running across a trail. Like yeah. You're not, they're not flying. It's the, it's the most bizarre thing, which ultimately it, you and I talked about this a couple of times today. Like it just, it is why when you get one, you just mm-hmm. feel like you accomplish something so special. I mean, I just absolutely love rough grouse hunting and the challenge is maddening. And I've, I've just like looked up and been like unbelievable at some of the birds that have escaped us today that we have physically seen Yes, and never got an opportunity well, to take a shot yeah. at. It, it's challenging on multiple fronts. It's challenging because you have to find them mm-hmm. in whatever cover you have to get some sort of, well, you don't have to, but dog work, right? I mean, it, it is, I would say the rough grouse is one of the hardest birds for a dog to learn and figure out. Mm-hmm. And then, I mean, you haven't even started yet. Then you got to shoot the thing. Right. Which is a And whole... then if you're doing it on camera, trying to get it on camera. <laughs> and then bring yeah. in Lance Tangen. Here we exactly. go. Exactly. What's it been like trying to follow us, chasing these birds through the thickest cover imaginable with a camera in tow? Well, the camera I've had has helped because I'm able to maneuver a little bit better. It's not big and on my shoulder, but the cover itself, I mean, branches whipping you in the face and, you know, following behind somebody, you've got branches coming at you. So you got to leave a little bit of space and whipping you in other places too. Yeah. yeah. Other places. I mentioned about that too. I've been, I've been yeah. bushwhacked a couple of times. <laughs> no pun intended. But, you know, grouse are tough. I mean, you can't, you can't rely on a zoom to get in on a bird that you think is going to flush from a spot because they're for one running 
And even to try to catch a bird that's running through the timber on the camera, like I can catch a fleeting glimpse with my eye and see it, but then to put the camera lens on it and try to get video of it, it's it's fleeting at best. So you're kind of you're limited already on what you can see. And then if you are moving in on a bird or a dog that's on point that you expect to have a bird there, you kind of get you kind of got to go wide. And you know you really as a cameraman you're trying to focus on the moment and the bird or your quarry and on a crouch it's like you got to go wide and just hope it flies in your frame it's and gone. you get it yeah one maybe 1, 000, going down that's it it's one one thousand two one thousand at the most and it's gone yeah mm-hmm. yeah for sure so if you're able to line that up and get that when the hunter shoots i mean it's a i don't want to say it's a freak occurrence because you hope it happens that's what we're here to do but it it's hard it's not yeah one thing we've learned about you know, rough grouse hunts in the past. And we, we usually do at least one, if not two, every year for the flush. And, you know, you just hope enough chances, you come across enough birds, and all of a sudden you get a couple cool things that happen right in front of the camera lens. And, you know, we've been very fortunate the last couple of years. The grouse numbers have been fantastic. But I think what saves a lot of people when they're filming rough grouse hunts in the fall is it typically coincides with the woodcock migration and that's in october and now you add another species of bird that your dog is going to go on point and easier to film yeah better dog work they don't run typically although we were just talking about that you know you and i were Mm -hmm. uh working with our dogs and we we found about 70 woodcock one day last fall on you know the run with our dogs and they were just right there in front of us the day before the season right it was a friday before yeah the grouse season was open yeah the the woodcock was not and we we found so many woodcock and you went back the next day on the woodcock opener and they were running like crazy woodcock running i mean yeah which is why yesterday when everything was running away i was like you know what it it's just the day i I was convinced that (laughs) we were going to wake up today and um, it, we probably would still have some that ran, but like, if you come across 30 grouse in a, in an afternoon, you figure you're going to have a couple that'll go up in a tree, a couple that'll hold for a point and, a, you know, a few that'll flush wild and a couple that'll, you know, perhaps disappear. Not 90 out of a hundred. Yeah. Or I don't know how many. What do you think we saw the last day and a half? I mean, I, I bet our dogs have probably worked close to 70 different birds, I would say. And only three of them allowed us to see them flush in front of them. I believe that's what we ended and up even totaling. two of them, you saw the flush. The one Ben got today was a flush way in front that came your direction. Yeah, so Amos was probably about yeah, 150 that's right. yards. That's what we were saying. Like, at least if they would fly, the way that we, you and I have been trying to, like, cut them off and swing wide, mm-hmm. like, a random wild flush might at least give us a chance at a passing shot. But, but we like, they had wild not, flushes. They have, no and then fly. right afterwards. Yeah, well, so we had, we had hit this little pine. It was a tiny little pine island where Daisy was super birdie. She had pointed two or three times. And you know, now that we think about it, because I, I marked it on my uh, hunt app, and it's like, oh, this is a spot. I should maybe like the little honey hole there. Yeah. There are so many tracks. So Most many tracks. tracks. We saw. More than we had seen anywhere else. So it's interesting, though. Is so we started walking. We started pushing 
towards it would have been the northwest. Mm-hmm. And Amos was, he was probably northwest 150 yards from that spot, which is probably where we pushed those birds because that's kind of the direction we swung through there. Yeah. And bumped a bird, stopped to flush. I heard the bell stop. And I, I was just kind of looking in front of me, and all of a sudden I see this cruise missile coming. And, <laughs> and right out of the tree treetop, so probably, I don't know, 20, 20 feet in the air. And by the time I was like, okay, that's a grouse. And one of those deals where it's flying right over my head. And so I turn around and spin and shoot. And like, there's no way I'm going to hit this thing. And I didn't even have time to think that, actually. And shot and was like, whoa. It's, I got it. I, I heard the shot. I didn't even know there was a bird in the air. I heard the shot and I look over and I hear what sounds like a sack of potatoes hitting <laughs> the snow in the, in the ground. I was like, that's a hit. That's yeah. a hit. <laughs> and at that moment, I was like, I, I just, I need to see one of these birds in hand, yeah, right. you know, like, oh my gosh. It's been wild. Um, I think tomorrow could be a completely different day. I <laughs> said it last night and I'm going to say it again. Tomorrow could be the best day of grouse hunting of our life. And that's really ultimately the fun about hunting these birds. Yes, we're spending time right now trying to figure out how to outsmart them and what we've done wrong and how they've gotten away. And then all of a sudden these dogs will prove that they're pointing these birds every time they stop. And then, you mm-hmm. know, that bird that was 10 feet in front of Daisy's point this afternoon was fat and happy, didn't want to fly, held there. Maybe we're going to run into a few of those tomorrow. Well, I don't know. Now we might catch a few walleyes. I think we might catch a few walleyes. <laughs> we'll have a few twists for this episode. Don't worry. We're not giving away everything that has happened. We don't know what's about to happen. We're not done yet. Um, and this hunting season isn't over yet. But let's let's maybe go back a little bit. And then, Lance, I want you to think about, like, your wildest adventures that you've been on. We're, we're going to dig into some of those. <laughs> That's those deep. And kind of your own story, too. And, Ben, you, you've got some wild uh, adventures that you've been on over the years in the television world that you've, mm-hmm. that you've come into or been in before you took this role with Onyx. But um, any highlights for you, Ben, so far this season that really stand out in your, in your hunting year? I mean, yeah, it's, it's been, a, been a fantastic year. I mean, again, a lot of bird numbers are, are up a lot of places, but I mean, it was, you look back at Canada, which all three of us were, were yeah. in Alberta and, yeah. and yeah, just to experience tons and pretty much where they were introduced into North America. That was, that was a pretty cool experience and, and yeah, just, just a different hunt than we're used to in say, uh, Wyoming, Montana, Idaho, wherever. So had a great time there and yeah, I'm just, I'm. My gross hunting time was was uh, cut a little short. Just there was some. Well, you guys are probably here. You've heard about it, like that. Uh, that uh, it's essentially like a hemorrhagic pneumonia going around. Mm. You haven't heard about that. It's like a. I don't get out much. <laughs> I've been in the woods <laughs> way too much lately. Well, that's just well. There you go. Yeah. So yeah, you like in Kansas, there was a cases that popped up in Michigan. Essentially, it's a hemorrhagic pneumonia that is this people dog, or dogs? dogs? Okay, dogs have been getting so. Uh, oh our, yeah, 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 yeah. So yeah, our okay. trial season, the got, trials, uh, our, yeah. my cover dog trials, we they got cut short, in which I also parlay that into a lot of grouse hunting. 
while I'm there. Mm-hmm. And those got essentially all canceled. Um, one of the dogs ended up hitting a stump and the owner thought it must have messed something up when it hit this stump. Took it to an uh, emergency vet in the cities and they said, like, this is this. I can't remember what it's called now, but some sort of pneumonia. If you don't catch it within 48 hours, they die within 72 hours or something like, and it's apparently very contagious. So they just said, like, out of safety, we're just going to cancel the trial. So that kind of, that kind of hurt my girl. Is that something that, um, has continued throughout the rest? Cause that was back in October, October, early October, end end of September, early October. And, um, yeah, I mean, in hindsight, probably a good thing that they canceled the trials, right? Not not worth dog games, but mm-hmm. yeah, it's been popping up now. It's been popping up number of states. You start to hear about it more and more. So, um, yeah, just a, a wild thing. Huh. Um, I wonder what that's going to mean for, because I know winter time and then spring is a is a really popular trial season. Uh, are you hearing anything from? what's to come yet or expectations for trials? No, I mean, everything is, everything is back on track. Like I don't think there is, um, probably larger, broader implications, but you know, it just, just makes you think, right? Like you're at a trial and there's a dog wagon, there's a lot of dogs around. Right. And th- and there's some people that we're, we're kind of, I would say weird about like, I don't want my dog riding in this. I don't want them drinking out of bowls and and I'm that way, but not wasn't in the trial scene. Like dog parks, I think are the worst place for a number of reasons. So like, I never take my dogs to the dog park because it's just a cesspool of mm-hmm. potential. So anyways, um, but no, I don't think, uh, hopefully it doesn't, doesn't continue and just, just be more cognizant of, of those kind of things I think will help. Did that dog survive? It did. Good. Yep. And I think all, he had five dogs over and, uh, they all had it. The one was obviously the worst that had to be hospitalized, but they all ended up pulling through. So a birdiest hunt this year for you. Uh, birdiest hunt. That's a good question. Uh, probably I had some really good grouse hunts early season up in, up in Northern Minnesota where it was just Amos and I, and, and granted, it was, it was early October, so still pretty thick, but my gosh, like, yeah, just, and I don't even care. Like, he does his job points. I don't need to shoot birds. It was just, you know, one after another, and it was like, oh, this is, oh, no, I take that back. Old Frederick Setter, he, Freddie's 10 months old now. And I needed a good grouse spot. This is after the wood, or this is, this is before the woodcock migration. I was like, I need a spot. I can just get him into a bunch of birds. And my, my friend Ryan said, I've got, I've got a spot for you. Just here, like, go have at it. And he proceeded to bump like 22 grouse in a row. And I was like, dude, what the heck? Like, you're a, you're a bird dog. And it was like, this is in like an hour. Finally, like on grouse number 27 in an hour and a half, pointed one. It's like, okay. And then we pointed another one and another one and another one. I was like, all right, now I got a bird dog. So when you're going through that with him, because 
this is a rarity that a dog will, you know, be able to come across that many wild birds to learn mm-hmm. from that quickly. What's going through your mind when he's, I mean, he's young, he's a puppy, he can do no wrong, right? But yeah. at the same time, gonna you've him. trained some, <laughs> you were going to sell him, like get rid of him. Oh. Like, cause I, we had made the loop and I was walking back and I was like, I'm going to get rid of you. Like, <laughs> and I was kind of serious. Cause like, like I know I, like setters are slow to mature and blah, blah, blah. But I was like, this is ridiculous dog. Yeah. Like they were all holding nice. And yeah. So I was really close to selling them. <laughs> and then all of a sudden it just clicked right there. Yeah. And then he was the best dog in the world. All of a sudden in my mind, right? Yeah. It's like that zero to hero. Well, it's so funny too, because I mean, like the the way dogs, I don't know what goes on in their mind and how things click for them and when they click and how things change. I I mean, look at look at that grouse tonight or this afternoon. We we just get in the woods. We're walking the trail, and Daisy, I look over and she just freezes, and I'm like, oh, there's a bird right there. We got to get in there quick because we had already, you know, how many dozens have already ran off, and she was so close. I went straight in front of where she was facing and I go, Ben, it's right here. 10 yards in front of her. It's running. And I'm trying to cut it off and I do get in front of her and then she moves up Yeah. and the, this thing is just full on sprint. And it's, she's only 25 yards from me maybe or 20 yards from me. And the bird is between her and I, and I'm like, perfect. perfect. This thing cannot get away. And all of a sudden, you know, like I'm, I don't know if I was going to be able to cut it off, but I anticipated just getting up because normally a bird 10 yards in front of you in the wide open like that is going to fly. This thing keeps on running and Daisy says, I've had enough. (laughs) And she goes, I'll get it, dad. And she just went from a statue to flying, running in there as fast as she possibly could, trying to grab the bird. I'm like, yeah. and then of course it flushed when she was like three feet from it, you know? Um, but I think she had just had enough at that point of all day watching those birds w- literally run in front of her, walk away and just keep on running and hear, hear us coming all the way through the woods, knowing how far behind we are yeah. on so this many of those fruitless. birds. I have a better chance I have of a catching better chance. this. And she got like, with the, I'll give her this, she did get really close before yeah. it finally ran, but that bird almost had to get eaten before it would fly. <laughs> and I mean, I, I stopped her dead in the tracks and I made her stand there. Like, what are you doing right now? You are not a flusher. And she's pointed hundreds of birds this year and held them beautifully throughout this entire season. And that was like straw that broke the camel. Exactly. hundred percent. That's what you're talking about, making a click, you know, and, and the learning process. But like, maybe this is advanced learning where they're doing something so different out of the realm of what the grouse normally do that she's taking it to the next level. Like I've pointed this and they're running every time I'm sick of it. I'm going to get them. <laughs> Let's yeah. try something else. Let's yeah. try something else. And that's and where I'm, I'm like, does it click for them? Or like yeah. this, I'm bang. I'm the definition of insanity right now. Yeah. And I'm going to change something like, else. I've done this 70 times. I've, yeah. And it hasn't worked. So maybe I'll try this. Right. And it just happened to be the wrong time to try that. If our buddy George Lyle was here today, he would have had, he'd have run out of numbers on his clicker for how <laughs> many points their dogs have had today. Um, but I will say then the next one did hold and she held it for about close to 10 minutes. And I got there 
And I was just assuming like this, there's no, there's not going to be a bird here, but she was standing there looking like a million bucks. And I walk in and there's, there goes a grouse 10, 10 yards in front of her. And like, I, good for you, girl. Good for you. And we called it a day on that right there. But like, I mean, oh, you just like, I held that bird and I was like, gosh, I, I don't know that I've ever worked so hard for a bird in my entire life. Um, and I won't forget that one and it'll keep me coming back and I'm grateful for it. But that just goes back to just how awesome the king is to hunt. Mm-hmm. I mean, just how awesome of a bird it is. We cooked them up with your French cuisine tonight. Delicious. Yes. I'm full of them. I'm full. Um, and we're not done yet, so I'm excited about that. The flush. So fast, it hardly seems real. So vivid, the moment freezes in time before erupting in a blur of spurs and feathers. It's why we changed the way upland loads are built with Prairie Storm. Exclusive flight control FlexWad technology and a mix of copper-plated lead and flight stopper pellets combine to create dense, deadly shot strings through any choke. Longer shots, more power, fewer missed birds. Only from Federal. Now is a great time to make the most of all that tasty meat you harvested. Maybe it's time to try a new recipe, sprinkle on a new seasoning, or make your own jerky and sausage. Trust me, it's not that hard to do, and it can be fun for the whole family. It doesn't matter what you harvested or what you want to prepare with it. Walton's has you covered. Walton's has everything but the meat. That's their motto. Walton's.com has everything, and I mean everything you need to process and prepare your meat. Plus, they have an online community called Meatgistics that's full of recipes and meat processing information. The sky's the limit, my friends. You don't have to be a pro to cook like one. Head to Walton's.com today and enjoy meat processing season. Thankfully, it's a season that never ends. A healthy dog is a happy dog, and a dog's optimal health ultimately starts with an optimal diet. That's why I trust Nutrisource Performance Dog Food to keep Daisy healthy and running to her full potential. Nutrisource now has a full circle feeding plan that can help your dog achieve their full potential too. The full circle feeding plan revolves around their entire lineup of Nutrisource dog foods that contain their good for life system. The Nutrisource good for life system is packed with probiotics, prebiotics, and proprietary minerals that work together to support your dog's heart health and gut health. By combining this system and all of their dry foods and wet foods, you can rotate carbs and proteins like chicken, beef, fish, and lamb to meet and exceed your dog's needs and accelerate their natural desire to eat. Plus, their toppers like kombucha add even more health benefits for our dogs. Learn more about Nutrisource dog foods and the benefits of their full circle feeding plans at NutrisourcePetFoods.com. Let's get into a few wild stories. Let's start with this one. Um, Lance, what is it like to get bit by, well, let's take this back. How many years have you been filming outdoor television? Um, so it's 2023. I started in 03. So 20 years of filming outdoor television. Yeah. 2021. Favorite favorite place you've ever filmed. Ooh, these are all loaded questions. So there's probably a top three or four that could get answers for most of these. But a lot of times it's asked is what's your, because I do a lot of mostly hunting stuff. I do fishing as well, but what's your, favorite hunting trip and a lot of times I don't actually answer with a hunting trip 
I talk about a place called Tropic Star Lodge down in Panama, okay. which is like a mecca for fishing. It was a unique destination and an amazing trip outside of my realm. So that's why it stands out as like that kind of a trip. But for hunting destinations, I mean, it's hard to really pick and choose. You know, you got trips that you have amazing success and you go after your quarry and you get what you want and it's a trophy or it's a, a something that you can put in your memory forever as a the quintessential hunt. Yeah. But then there's the ones that you and I... <laughs> can both look back on yeah. and go, yeah, we had our success and we got what we needed like for the show or the content and, and we did what we needed. But to get that was quite the adventure, mm-hmm. the steps and how many steps we may need to take or the climbing route. mountains or yes. Climbing mountains you... or how many days we waited in a cabin for a snowstorm to pass. Yeah. Or... I mean, being holed up in the middle of, a mountain range in Alaska that we flew into because I, I remember feeling like I, I mean, I've told this story a few times on this show and you were the camera that was with on that. But when that plane went 360 in that snowstorm, did you not think we were going to die? I think it's merged together with so many of the, we almost died here moments on that trip that like, it's hard to decipher. I, I think I remember a different moment. Like I know you talk about the, plane spinning mm-hmm. and i do i do remember that but i remember one where like we went up just to look to do some scouting or to look at the countryside get some video of of the alaskan wilderness and i i don't know it was right after takeoff we were leaving the runway and then we did one of those i think it was a, a gopro or whatever on the front dash looking back at all of us but you hit one of those uh Oh, the Tur- turbulence. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Some rough air, as they say now. <laughs> they don't say turbulence on the planes, which oh, I find oh, hilarious. Okay. Yeah. If you experience rough air, yeah, you know, make sure you're buckled in. But mm. I remember looking in the back on that f- video footage, and everybody hit their head on the top of the plane. You know, even buckled in. Yeah. You don't have a lot of headroom to begin with, but you hit a rough air patch, and everybody hit their head hard. You know, and it brings you back to reality. And those pilots. They've been there. They probably are laughing as we're squirming like mm-hmm. <laughs> scared yeah, worms. But, I mean, I I remember that that pilot, that bush pilot, with one hand on his coffee mug, just sipping away <laughs> as if this is just like a a trip, you know. When there's the old saying, right? There's no old pilot. There's no how. There's 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 old pilots there's, and there's dumb pilots, but there's no old dumb pilots. <laughs> yeah. They're bold pilots. Yeah, bold. Yeah, bold yeah, pilots. Yeah. Right? Oh, there you go. Yeah, there's old pilots and there's bull pilots, but there's I, no old I convinced bold myself pilots. if we make it, if we survive and this thing safely lands where we don't die, I'm walking back. <laughs> I'm oh. walking back. I am not flying out of this mountain range. Give me a rifle, and I'm walking back. Well, I think Coke Wallace, who was our uh, outfitter guide extraordinaire, who's a tough man of mm-hmm. any proportion, but I think he did. Give us that option, right? Like he said, he'd ridden in on horseback thirty miles to his camp. Yeah, because he couldn't get in, and he had to get in to get camp ready. Yeah, so there was an option. But well, when we landed, <laughs> there was a second plane supposed to follow, right? And <laughs> right. that was Coke, <laughs> our outfitter, our guide. We go in the plane, and he's like, "If I don't make it, you guys go into the cabin. There's a rifle here. There's jugs here." <laughs> There's clean water to drink on this river, but bring the rifles with. 
and all the reasons why. Like, I mean, you just can't make it up. No. It was, it was so fantastic. He's like, if there's any wolves in any of the traps, did he say, no, he didn't say dispatch him, did he? Uh, I don't think I don't so, remember. because I think there was something about him having to yeah, do it or something. Yeah, I think there was some laws on that. But anyway, he said, don't be alarmed, or I don't know. Like, I mean, just the wildest the bush country. That's, that's Alaska. That's Alaska That is stuff, Alaska right, right there, I'm yeah. Like, and then we're here worried about, like, oh, man, the oven isn't starting. The wind. Yeah, the wind did, was blowing in, you know, the yeah. vent. So yeah. we got that figured out and now it's oh. a little bit warm I actually just turned off the heat on the fireplace over here because the I was window so, open the whole yeah time. you've got the window <laughs> over there we got all the dogs yeah, and the yeah. heat over there from that smells like cedar Lance, in here. what's it like to get bit by a rattlesnake um well it happens pretty fast I'm not gonna lie <laughs> I've been close now a couple times and I've told those stories but they haven't actually struck me I think I think I've been more scared on the ones that have almost struck me because you get advance warning. Usually you get a rattle and they strike or you're on them and then you know and you can back off. But the one that got me never rattled, which is, I don't know if it's rare or not necessarily, but it never rattled. And my first vision was something hit my leg and I remember looking down and kicking my right leg and it got me pretty high up, two thirds of the way up my calf. On the back? On the back of my calf. Yeah. But was... I was kicking my right leg forward, and I remember looking down and seeing the snake embedded in the back of my calf. And I actually, as I was kicking it, I flung the snake because it was embedded in my leg. And I remember watching Nightmare. it flipping through the air and landing as I kind of rolled to my right. And basically, it was a knee-high grass. Where were you? It was in Montana in June. Oh. Uh, we were doing decoy dogging for coyotes. Okay. So... Yeah. It was starting to get warmer. Snakes were probably coming out. We had already bumped into one. We bumped into one that was underneath a rock pile, heard it rattle. You know, never seen it, but, you know, it at least gave you a little bit of... You knew they were alive and they were coming out, so you were kind of aware. But the one that got me was knee-high grass. It was in a, a two-track that I describe as, like, it had been driven a month ago. Mm -hmm. So, like, you could see the tracks you couldn't see into the tracks. You know what I mean? So yeah. I'm walking on the left two track. Um, another guy is in front of me, Big Al Morris for Fox Pro, is in front of me, and he's got his dogs running in front of him. And the other guy that's with Troy Adams was in the right two track. The dogs had been running around. I think the dogs are what agitated the snake because I remember them running in the two track in front of me, and Al had already walked in front of me on the two track. You were behind him? And I was behind him. And I think... I don't. I didn't step on it that I remember, or didn't feel anything like I would have made it just strike me. I think it was. So it what got coiled up and it got ready from the dogs and Al walking by, and then I just happened to be in the line of fire. So what happened next? Uh, it struck me. I tumbled off to the right. I landed on my knees with that big. It was a full size production camera over my shoulder. I actually broke the viewfinder off as I crashed to my side. But I was on my knees, and I remember kind of like raising up. And I knew it had already been struck, and I knew what it was, but I remember raising up, and the first thing I saw was a snake in the two-track that I had just come from on the left side. 
was a snake's head coming up above the grass and looking around. Like, oh gosh, who's oh, next? What nightmares are made? No out of. kidding. Yeah, no. I mean, it's like you see the king cobra coming up yes. out of the the woven wicker you're basket. You're eye level with a snake, and I'm eye level with it because I, like I say, I'm on my knees, oh, kind of like a raising nightmare. up, and he's right there coming up, like looking around. Oh, and so I I got up, and Al goes, "Did you get bit?" And I go, "Yeah, he got me." And I turned basically right away, and I just said, "I'll." I'm going to start walking to the truck. You guys kill him. <laughs> and you guys kill the snake and let's get going, you know? Because you want to bring it with in case you needed that it. That was the old common knowledge was like, you need to know what snake it was because of the anti-venom that they have to administer, <clears throat> which is old, I think, as far yeah. as we know in our first world country, it's old old knowledge because they actually make the anti-venom on site through a machine. And it used to be where they either drew it from goat or sheep or horse antibodies that it inject with the rattlesnake venom to give you anti-venom. It's been a while since you told me the story, but you you went to the hospital and there was something that you were gonna <laughs> like. They said if yeah. it, if it got you, you might taste something. Like what what was that again? So it was. It only took about forty five minutes of driving 120 down the interstate to get to the Great Falls Montana Hospital, and I went in the ER room and they. They get to you right away, and they start doing things, and they obviously have protocol. Mm-hmm. But I remember the biggest thing was they got me on the table, and they they started reading me a bunch of things that could happen, you know, side effects from the venom. venom. And the last thing that they read off was you having a burnt metallic taste in your mouth. And I remember, like, laughing, like, well, yeah, like I've chewed on an aluminum burnt yeah. pop can. I'm going to know what that like, tastes yeah, like. <laughs> hmm. So, I don't know, probably half hour, 45 minutes later, just sitting there. You're just kind of sitting there, and they're monitoring vitals, and they had actually shaved both of my legs and taped tape measures to them to measure the inflammation. And at that point, like, I think I was kind of, I was in good spirits and kind of joking around. Like, it wasn't burning. Like, you hear about where it's really burning and intense pain. It hurt, but it wasn't, like, anything that would, I would, Say was intense. And you see, like on movies where they're like sweating and like. Oh, and there's a black yeah, spot that's yeah. growing, and they're writhing in pain. Like I didn't have. Is that, is that to come? Oh, when it wasn't. No, thank God. Honestly, the biggest pain I had, and you're gonna all laugh because I hate IVs. I hate shots. Getting an IV from the midnight nurse was the worst <laughs> of it all. But you said you tasted it though. All of a sudden, yes, yes. So going back to the whole um, side effects was sitting there waiting and they gave me some ice water and I was just drinking the water and chewing on the ice and all of a sudden it was like a burning taste in my mouth that like I I can only describe as a burnt aluminum pop can (laughs) that I was chewing on which was the exact thing that I was thinking of like how would I ever know and I kind of was chewing on my ice and I'm like this isn't right you know and I've I'm like, went back to that and go, okay, raise my hand and go, yeah, I think I'm having that side effect. So they rushed me up to the, out of the ER into a room and they got the anti-venom going in my system. And I guess that's usually the biggest time to worry is if you're going to have a reaction to it. And in the old days with the sheep and horse anti-venom, if, if I'm saying it right, uh, you'd have to worry about bad reactions from that with your system. Basically, you know, um, you know, being allergic to it type of stuff where it could be worse for you than the snake bite could. So that was old fear, but that is kind of 
wiped away when they told me about the new anti-venom and it's made in a machine. And it's actually, it's the only, the way they described it to me at the Great Falls Hospital in Montana was it's the only, um, uh, uh, it's the only medicine that the pharmacist has to actually hand deliver to the room. Like you can't give it to a nurse on a cart that can wheel it up to you. He has to actually like carry it to your room and give it to you. I think it's just because of the expense of it. Okay. The machine, it must be extremely expensive, and, of course, your bill well, It seems like something expensive. that not every hospital would have. No, and I'm assuming it's probably something that they only have out more out west or down south where snake bites might be more prevalent, um, and I guess that's just me thinking on general terms. Well, I, but I know nothing about humans. I only know about dog snake bites. I don't know anything about human yeah. snake bites. But yeah. yeah, Lance is the only guy that I know that's been bit by a rattlesnake before. The funny yeah. thing is, is that they don't, and I was actually like the guinea pig, like the doctors were coming in <laughs> and asking me questions about what was happening. And I thought right away that it was interesting. And I finally asked one of them, like, you know, aren't, like, isn't there a specialist that you guys have or a doctor that is specialized in this? And they said, no, no, we don't. We don't treat you. I mean, we treat you, but we don't. We actually coordinate with the CDC, and they tell us what to do. So they send in all my vitals to them, and they monitor wow. what's going on. So they must have a, a panel or a few doctors on site that'll sit there and look at what's happening in cases around the country and then tell the doctors on what to do. So once my antivenin went through, and I had a small antivenin dosage, once that, it went through my system and my vitals checked out. Everything was good. It was, what, 36 hours later I was out of the hospital. That's a long time, That's though. a long time. To Which, be, yeah. yeah, it was yeah. long enough, believe me. And then how long did you have to, was there anything you had to keep taking when you got home? Or Nothing just, after the fact. I mean, I remember no it was pretty side tender, tender there, but no I side effects. I you have effects. two ears now on your left side <laughs> and seven toes. And, 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 beyond no, those, and no leg. And <laughs> but other than that. And my tongue is split. I don't understand, yeah. but. <laughs> yeah. So so did did the food tonight did that taste like burnt aluminum can? No, far <laughs> from it. I mean Oh, I just wonder if that's like permanent now. No, no. <laughs> nothing no. I mean you didn't have any lasting side effects beyond that and an insane doctor bill? No, yeah, the the doctor bill was the biggest uh X factor at the end. Um because you know, you hear I you know, I don't know. You hear about some of that stuff and you think it's going to be more expensive and then you're kind of waiting in the midst for the bill to come. And I remember I got it and I can tell you the exact amount that I owed <laughs> because I found it hilarious. Well, we, and I'll give you the backstory. My son was born that year. So we ended up meeting our family out of pocket deductible for our health insurance from him being born in January. Well, this was in June. I think the total bill said somewhere around 62000 and 52,000 of it was from the antivin. 10,000 was from the 36 hours in the stay ER and in a room. But the total bill that it said that I owed was $7.42. <laughs> oh my goodness. $7.42 is what I paid out of pocket for that snake bite. Wow. Bite. So $50,000 for the antivenom. Yeah. And like I said, I had a How small many doses? dose. I think it was like. I don't remember the exact figure, but I, and this sounds weird, but I, I was watching Animal Planet after the fact, and they had something of a, a guy had filmed his wife get struck by a snake in their garden. And she's writhing in pain in the ER, and they go through all the stuff, and they told how many vials of antivenin they injected into her and how much it cost. 
and from that I was able to figure out, you know, like, yeah, I had, I think it was like five vials of anti-venin, which was the 50,000. Well, this lady had a quarter of a million dollars worth of $250,000 worth of just anti-venin in her treatment. So five times as much or whatever to treat her. And of course she had the big black softball size, nasty looking mark. And I just had a pretty small, you know, the tooth bite and the red area and some, some darker, but nothing that was going to leave lasting effects. So yeah, in the end, I mean, very, very lucky and fortunate. Well, you're up here filming us chase around grouse that won't sit still and you've hunted, um, all over North America, big game, small game, fish, um, you know, just you, you're, I haven't been able to corral you <laughs> and and make you a full-time partner of mine because you enjoy the variety of life on the road and um, filming with a lot of different companies, I guess, you know, so yeah. you're, you are your own television uh, freelance videographer and you've been this way for 20 years now, yep. tried to offer you positions to join our <laughs> team full-time, and you're like, you just like your and own... I respect that. I, yeah, I, I Hey, I respect... I like the full-court press on the podcast. Know, Is that I a know, tactic, Travis? Well, I mean, I'm always trying to figure something. Nothing I've done has worked yet. I love hanging out with you, and, and we just always end up having a good time wherever... And that's kind of the fun of, you know, where, like, I'm working right now and trying to produce a TV show, but I get to be with my friends here with both of you. And Likewise. I've just, I've enjoyed all of these adventures and I know you've been on a lot of them. I and mean, you talked about the one in Panama, but like what else stands out to you in, in 20 years of, of filming all kinds of different people and all kinds of different adventures and hunts and big game. And I mean, what are you going to look back on when you're all done doing this and, and be like, man, what a ride. That's a funny question because I think about it too. And, you know, I have footage, of course, saved and, you know, footage that's there that is, you know, I'm contracted that's owned by other companies, you know, but having a finished product, like having a DVD or a, a, a link or a downloaded video of a completed hunt and stuff is pretty special to me still to look back. Whether it's been 10 years or I filmed it 10 minutes ago and it's the first time I'm seeing it on air, like... That's my big reward, to be honest. Like, I, I guess I always describe it as I sacrifice seeing it in person, even though I'm in person in the moment, I sacrifice seeing that so that everybody else can see it. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. I see it through an eyepiece, even though I'm there in, in person, just so that other people can relive it and see how it went down. So for me, that's my big reward. But, you know, over the course of time, like, the big trips that I've been on and stuff, some of those stand out because they're, they're trips that I would have never been able to afford to go on or be a part of even unless I, I don't know how I would ever be a part of them, you know, from the sheep hunts in Alaska and Northwest territories and Colorado and moose hunts in Newfoundland and Alaska and, you know, Canada, uh, the diversity of stuff that you can experience just in North America alone, you know, Vancouver Island, the the big bears that are there. I mean, I could go on and on. I, and I guess I'm blessed because I've been able to see a lot of that. And I guess that's where I take away, I get the takeaway is I get to experience it, even though I'm not the one pulling the trigger. I'm there just as much as you are, you know, when you're pulling the trigger to experience yeah. it. So 
I guess a lot of people don't like the filming thing or the thought of it because they're not the ones that's pulling. They're not the one that's pulling the trigger or part of it in the end. But in the end, I really am. You know, so the story well, that lives on is the video. You know, we might have other side stories of things that happen off sure. camera, but like when when it comes to the TV side, I mean, Ron Shira told me this the day I started. He goes, "The camera doesn't see it. It didn't happen." Hundred percent, hundred percent, and that's always the thing you have to kind of. You kind of got to go off of because if you try to to sell something, I don't want to say sell it, but if you try to to sh- to talk about something that didn't happen, you just leave skepticism in people's eyes. So I worked for Primos for a number of years, and yeah. Will Primos, he was the first one to really film like turkey hunts for sure. Right? Yep. And he, and Will is like a dyed in the wool like turkey hunter, loves turkey hunting to the day he dies, and. His famous line was, "Wow, they'll, they'll just connect the dots. We'll connect the dots," because he would not, like, it would pain him to see a bird that comes into gun range and him not kill it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we'll, we'll just connect the dots. They'll, we'll just connect the dots. Fix it in post. Yeah, yeah, exactly. What's your biggest pet peeve filming with people? Oh, probably us yelling, "Hey, hey!" Yeah. hey, hey. <laughs> Yeah, the audio the in my ears all the time. <laughs> they just did that and all the dogs just lifted their heads up off the bed. Yeah, they did. <laughs> like, hey, we're sleeping here. Yeah. Are you wondering what we're doing when we're doing that, by the way? <laughs> because the dog doesn't, uh, can't see us. So it's just a letting the dog know which direction we're moving. Right. The dog's job is to stay in front of us. Yeah, just keeping yeah. them in position mm-hmm. or keep letting them know your position. I right. That's more yeah. than anything. I mean, that's the stuff I guess I pick up on. That's why, going back to one of your questions kind of earlier that we didn't really talk on, but, like, I feel like I'm always asking questions. And sometimes from an outside perspective, you guys are very gifted and and more renowned and have hunted birds, you know, for a long time. And I, I have hunted birds, and I have my own, you know, history with it, but I haven't done it for years, so... Hearing what you guys are doing, I guess what I what I'm getting at is like I I see things you're doing and then I ask questions based off of what either is working or not working, and sometimes I think that perspective from outside, mm-hmm. thinking of it differently or looking at it differently without the knowledge sometimes can help or I mean it might hinder too, <laughs> from my information or or things that I ask questions or pose questions about why we're doing this and it's not to change what we're doing necessarily it's more or less just like i want to know why we're doing this to begin with and then is there a reason why what we're doing isn't working and why you know how could we change it to make it better i would have taken any suggestions if you <laughs> we were both, like hey i yeah. got this idea. like ah oh, yes i don't know what it is but <laughs> we'll yes i'll do it. it we changed every habitat we could think of we changed how we approach the dogs on point with the wind we changed i mean so many things knowing there's a bird there is one thing but then, you know, getting within distance of it, it just like, it still blows my mind at how many, and I'm sure people listening are like enough of it already, but it's just, I've hunted these birds so much to know that like they fly. Rough grouse like to fly. That's how they get away. They're not a pheasant. They're, I mean, instantly I was like, I feel like we're hunting roosters in the woods. Mm-hmm. I mean, just the way that they've been running and running and not getting off the ground. When you see them running, physically watching yeah. them you know you see the tracks is one thing but when you see the birds sprinting in front I'm like it's heading your way man <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and we can't get it up 
Maybe we should take like a deer hunting playbook, like just set up some drives. I thought about that. I was thinking like, all right, well, what if you start on this side and I go on this side? And I mean, a couple of times, like I'm thinking when, as Daisy's 200 yards out and I bring her back, like, hey, maybe she'll pin one between the two of us. A bird will run in towards me or, you know, like just yeah. with this yeah. many birds around, I figured, you know, just on dumb yeah. chance, an accident. And ultimately that one that came flying over the top, that kind of was exactly what happened mm-hmm. we just didn't have enough birds get off the ground to be able to have those dumb accidents yeah, exactly. happen yeah well that's the ones that you saw running in front of you just reiterated the fact of what you're seeing mm-hmm. from the or hearing from the dogs and stopping and pointing and then moving again and pointing again yeah it just reiterated what you're seeing i mean and you know like you don't leave birds to find birds typically if they're there now what are you going to do about it but I mean, you can't, like, the only thing that made sense at the end was run them into something that they can't, they run out of cover. Yeah, they don't want to run. And unfortunately here, it's miles and miles of the same thing. So what's the only thing you can run them into? A frozen lake where they run out of grass, run out of, you know, soil or a road that, you know, they have to run up and across a road. Like, they're just, they don't want to do that, I don't think. I mean. No. I, I would well, imagine. I, at this point, I, I yeah. don't know, right? <laughs> Who knows, right? Yeah. But, well, we even I came mean, across that fresh clear cut, and you saw tracks in it yeah. as we were we, going across. Yeah, they ran across, I would say, 40-acre clear cuts. Brand new clear cut. Brand Wasn't new. even in the app. Yep. They had just, they were stacking up logs. And yeah. Yep. Daisy's on point. Tracks run all the way across the clear cut. Like, all the way across, not flying. Think about that. If you're a grouse hunter and you're trying to wrap your head around what we're trying to explain, <laughs> instead of flying across, it, they were running across. Like, I just, I mean, yeah. Anyway, tomorrow's a new day and we're going to have the best grouse hunt ever, Ben. Yes, we are. <laughs> well, today, I mean, yeah, I had fun. I'm, it's I did fun. too. I mean, this is one of those things where like, hey, it you don't have to fill the the pouch with birds to make it a hunt that is just very memorable. And this is a prime example of that. We're going to talk about this one for years. I know. We will. Hey, remember that time when we were up grouse hunting and all the, they just mm-hmm. didn't stop and they just kept running forever and ever. And we put grouse drives together and ran them into blockers. And <laughs> we called a bunch of people, everyone from town. So we got 12 people to yeah, come out. The orange army. Yeah, exactly. I mean, yeah. Anyway, mm-hmm. um, Merry Christmas, Happy New Year, Happy Holidays to all of you that are listening. Uh, the next episode of the Flush Podcast will be during a new year, which is crazy to think about. I hope you get to spend time with your loved ones over the holidays. I hope you get out and do a little bit of bird hunting here in the Minnesota and North Dakota. Uh, I'm not sure. How, maybe Wisconsin. The season ends December 31st. Later. Later? Yeah, I think they go into January maybe a week or a few days at least. Do they really? Mm-hmm. Just okay. a little. Well, then we got to cross the border. Friends in South Dakota, they got another month at it, so. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. Pheasant season lasts till the end of January in South Dakota. My next adventure is going to be, actually, now that I think about it, I'm probably going to be taking this kit with me on the plane because I'm heading way out west. I'm going to be up in the mountains here the first week of January, so. Um, I'll tell you more about that adventure from our next bird camp, which hunting season is not over yet. Still a lot of opportunities out there. Hope you get the time to enjoy it. Bring somebody new with and watch out for snakes. (laughs) Watch out for (laughs) snakes. Do not get bit by a snake. 
It doesn't end well. And it tastes like, what is it again? Burnt aluminum pop can. Burnt <laughs> aluminum pop can. There it is. All right. We'll be back next week with another episode of the Flush Podcast. Flush Podcast.